I'm really glad that you did um, some MJ research because I didn't, and I also probably lost my playbill. Oh my god. It's fine. It just lists the songs. It doesn't even give you the scenes. I know. It doesn't. I found I found the list, like an actual list online. Um, that's going to be more helpful than the playbook. Oh, can I you send like, that to me? I mean, it's just on Wikipedia. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> I, well. I think so. I mean, it looks right to me. Like, first song of Act 1 is Beat It, and first song of Act 2 is Billie Jean. So I was like, all right, that seems right. <laughs> this is like the first jukebox musical we've watched where I've like known more than half a song. I mean, so, I think that's, like, also speaking to, like, Michael Jackson as an artist and stuff and, like, how many of his songs became such big hits, whereas, like, I mean, Tina was popular, but I literally was, like, the only reason I know any of these songs is literally because of Glee. Welcome, everyone, to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. You know that um really basic cider brand, the East, like Austin East Ciders or whatever? I I would need to see the label, but I think so. It's like it's like in most grocery stores. I think it's just like pretty standard, but it's not bad, I guess. Um, but I think this is like a limited like fall winter one maybe but they have a spiced peach cider oh and like that sounds good. it's so good okay so today we are talking about mj the musical if you haven't figured it out yet we saw it a week before previews before opening sorry a week before opening wow if we saw it a week before previews that'd be crazy um <laughs> we saw it in its last week of previews and um so yeah it was probably and apparently Fairly. critics were there that day, so I guess it was frozen by then. Yeah, probably. It felt very finalized to me. Um, so what did you think? I uh, Do we want to like, do I five t- words? Yeah, I totally forgot we do this like I normally do. But We always forget. Oh, actually, I've thought about this, but it was really basic. I already told okay. you. Wait, I need to count the number of words. Um, All right. It was just like... Okay, I think I got mine. <laughs> You're still thinking. <laughs> I'm trying to like make it five words because right now it's four words and I feel like that's lame, but you should go. So mine would be best look into creative process. Um, And this is like in regards to all the other jukebox bio musicals that exist that we have seen because it really like shows you what the process of him putting together this world tour is like. It's about like it's centered around the dangerous world tour, but also like flashbacks into when he was younger and developing as an artist but um but yeah like i mean i've said for a lot of other bio musicals especially for the like ones about women because for the ones about women they always feel the need to describe their relationship with a man and that is the part that i'm least interested in and i always prefer the half of whatever those musicals are where it's more about their career and how they like became an artist and like became someone so widely recognized and basically this whole musical is that i mean it does still talk about like his family and other stuff but it's still mostly just like centered around creative process um the songs the music all of that my five words we kind of already um talk i mean we've talked about it before but my five words were gonna be thriller did not no thriller didn't deliver as expected okay um like (laughs) you said it's the dangerous world tour like dangerous the album i feel like matters fuck all in this show they like keep on trying to center the show around thriller like it shows up as like the biggest number in both acts and like (laughs) nothing happens like the first time i couldn't even hear it we were like is he singing and you know what i was talking to my coworker during a donut meeting about this 
And he was also like, the sound was crazy. I couldn't hear words, but I felt like my heart was exploding. Like, it was so loud. I feel like watching that is going to like give me permanent heart failure in the future. Well, okay. So that was one of the things that I brought up at intermission was I was like, the sound design of the show alone is like pretty insane because the thing is like, it was loud, like in the sense that you can like hear it and feel it in your chest. But I didn't feel like I was actually going to be like deafened from it, which is kind of interesting. So I don't know like what wavelength they were playing all this on, but somehow they managed to achieve that. Like my ears didn't hurt, but like my heart was kind of uncomfortable. (laughs) It was like you could like and it wasn't the kind where it's like you could feel the vibrations like under your feet really either. It was just like straight up shocking you until your heart was just like, ah, (laughs) Um, yeah and like so I feel like most Broadway shows they hang speakers above the proscenium arch and normally they have like one on the left side one in the middle one on the right side but this one I literally took a picture of it because there are so many they had speakers just like a straight line of speakers from left to right it was just straight up speakers and I was like oh my god so didn't his tour have like 2200 speakers or something oh yeah hold on wait i think i have this open somewhere it was Um, like constantly debated in the show they were like michael we can't or mj we can't lug 2200 speakers (laughs) around the world and he was like i want a full-on airplane not like a private touring jet i want a full-ass airplane and they were like this is insane yeah so this the dangerous world tour has its own wikipedia page so you already know it's fallen (laughs) um but apparently he had a thousand lights, 10 miles of electrical cable, nine video screens and 168 speakers, which honestly is fewer than I expected. But he also had two tons of clothing. I feel like that's how many so. speakers they had at <laughs> the show. I read this and um, wasn't there one, there were two outfits that were 40 pounds each or something. Two outfits were nine feet tall, seven feet wide and weighed 40 pounds each. Yep. Yeah. Is that like King George's outfit? Like... I have no fucking clue. What the fuck is that? It also had fiber optic lights controlled by a computerized laser. Exciting. And a toaster. Yeah. Did they bring that from... They must have, right? Because that's not like something that's just like built into stages. But I guess like the stage has to like have the right trapdoor. And if you have a trapdoor, why not put a toaster under it? Like be prepared. (laughs) I don't know. Anyways, if you... I'm going to give a quick, quick summary. Um... I think you kind of already gave it, but if you haven't caught on, this show is about Michael Jackson. It's an MJ jukebox musical, but unlike most jukebox musicals that we see on Broadway, it's not quite about his whole life. It's framed by um, him getting ready for the Dangerous World Tour. So we actually don't see him on the tour either. It's like the, I don't know, like three, four days leading up to it. And during this time, um, a reporter comes in to like, observe how he practices and gets ready and like get some interviews in which is a big plot point because mj at this point just like really doesn't like the press and feels like they've done him dirty so he hasn't like taken interviews in apparently like 18 years or something and this is a really important world tour for a couple of reasons one because prior to this um he had come out with thriller and he toured with that and everyone was like there's no way dangerous is gonna like top that and he wanted to prove that he's not like just this one hit wonder kind of person i guess or just one album wonder i don't know um and then also because he promised all the proceeds to charity which is also super important because it through this show seems like he paid a lot of fucking money to put the tour on um so it just kind of shows like you know like what he cares about and like how he views his music and like contributions to the world i guess and how he works with his whole team because like his manager his tour manager and everyone is just like you're crazy why are you doing this um but then also we kind of like learn why his personality is the way it is because every time he does something where you're like I wonder why a person would behave like that. It flashes back to like his childhood or earlier in his career or his relationship with his family. So in the end, it does kind of cover just about all the stages of his life, but it's like bookended by him getting ready for the Dangerous World Tour. And so, and that is like 1992. So it's very 
like rooted in that era, I guess. Um, like they keep talking about like MTV a lot, which another entry point into the show is that MTV is there like at the rehearsals doing interviews. Um, and they did actually like in reality make a uh, documentary of this tour, but the interviewer in the show is like completely fictional and stuff. And also I was watching like portions of this documentary and they, at least the parts that I watched, they don't have any actual interviews with Michael Jackson. It's all like with um, like they had his brother for an interview. They had like the tour director, the sound design guy, some of the dancers. But I don't think they ever actually interviewed Michael Jackson. So I mean, he didn't sit down for an interview technically in the That's show. That's true. Either. Yeah. They just, they just like how out under the Hollywood <laughs> sign or something yeah. like that. Um, but I, yeah. So the same coworker I was talking to about how it, the sound was too loud. Um, was also like we were talking about like oh who's the villain in this show and it's like at first you like kind of think maybe it's the reporter like she's gonna pry too much but then like she really isn't and I was like oh she seems like a really reasonable reporter and um, my coworker was just like yeah like I wanted her to be more evil I was like where's the tension <laughs> like nothing is happening <laughs> um, which I think was like his main critique I didn't really mind that there wasn't like a serious antagonist i mean like it was there was and it was probably mj's dad but like Mm -hmm. who cares i mean in a way it was like himself too because he was like doing this thing where he was like it's like you know two days before they need to have the tour finalized and he's like let's change everything we're doing and everybody is like excuse me what yeah because you sorry you told me that review that was like oh, the musical's not good because it makes him seem like this, like, like creative genius hero who, like, cares about his work and no one else does and everyone's the enemy. And that's not how I felt at all because it was, like, two days before his tour and, like, his dancers had been practicing nonstop and then they were like, we need a break. And he was like, no, I'm going to fire all of you. And then his agents were like, that's probably a bad idea. I was like... I don't feel like MJ looks like the hero here. Like he clearly seems like he's working out some issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we just want to take a tangent into like the reviews. Um, so this is actually a review where I thought Jesse Green actually wrote a pretty good review for this in terms of like, he didn't love it, but I felt like his critiques were all pretty fair. Um he has written reviews in the past, which I was like, this is not comprehensible. Uh, but I think this one was pretty solid. So if you want to read a review that is an actually badly written review, find the one from The Wrap. Because one of the things that a lot of the reviews had an issue with was the fact that the show doesn't bring up anything regarding the sexual abuse allegations that MJ like faced Later in his life and also like after his death recently with the Finding Neverland documentary, which I mean, like, I think it's fair for people to want to boycott the show because it doesn't deal with that. And also because the show is being produced by Michael Jackson's estate. So, like, obviously they want a specific image of him to be shown that may or may not necessarily be true. But at the same time, spending your entire review complaining about how this show does not actually show you part of his life that technically isn't even within scope of this show. I just feel like as a reviewer, you're not doing your job. So for a good review. Yeah, so Jesse Green, I mean, he thought the book was like pretty solid. The choreography was good. Like all the dancers, all the actors were good. Um, And like, especially Miles Frost playing Michael Jackson. This is his Broadway debut. So everybody was a little bit like, oh, is he going to be okay doing like such a big role? Like, is he going to be able to handle it? Like, so, but no, he is actually really good. Um, But the thing is like, Jesse Green felt like it was missing like a deeper sort of meaning or connection or like, like it was just very sterile in the way that it presented information. It never really like had a heart to the show, I guess. Um, and it just was like very sort of matter of fact, which like I honestly didn't mind because again, like I am more just interested in the creative process. I don't need like a big drama. I just want to because, you know, like we see so many of these super pop stars and stuff. And part of it is really just like, oh, what is their life like? Like, how did they become so big? Like, I don't really care about their personal life. I don't really care about like 
you know, but it's it's more just like that's what I care about. But um, yeah, like yeah. he was just like, oh well. It also seems a little bit defensive in terms of like improving Michael Jackson's image, which like I guess I could also see because coming out of the show after that, I was like, oh wow, he's like a really you know great artist or whatever, like with a lot of integrity in his vision and. Obviously, that's, I think, the image that the Michael Jackson estate wants you to carry with the, with you when you leave the show because they want to, like, they want you to have a positive opinion about him. But, I mean, he's been, like, so big around the world that I feel like part of it is at least justified. So I don't, like, I never doubted his artistry. It's like, I feel like... He's so famous and we know that like it's because he's talented and not because of like some other shit, you know? So like I wasn't even surprised that like that's what the show is saying. Like I wouldn't say that's what I got out of the show. I feel like I, I walked into the show thinking that already. And um, as far as like it doesn't like get super deep or anything, like I can see that, but I also agree it's not a big deal to me. Like it definitely doesn't. It doesn't really get anywhere, I feel like. Like, we don't – I don't think he, like, finds any closure with his dad. And we never get, like, an answer on his pill addiction. Like, yeah. it doesn't, like, go into, like, the drama of mm-hmm. things. Um, But I feel like there's still, like, a lot of, like, good moments and good scenes where, like, there's, like, a lot that's unsaid that, like, still, like, really sets the mood and everything because, like, when he's talking to the reporter later on and she's, like, I know about your pill addiction and he kind of, like, changes the subject and he's, like, you know, like, how hard it is being in the spotlight, blah, blah, blah. And he kind of says some shit and it is very matter of fact, but I'm also just, like, yeah, like, I can see that happening and, like, I can make some inferences on the kind of person that he is and like what he's feeling when he's saying all of this and like what he's actually struggling with and like I'm fine with that yeah and I guess to be fair maybe for people who are like big fans of Michael Jackson this the actual story here would not be as interesting because they would probably already know it so maybe they want like the juicier drama about like the pill addiction or about all the different rumors that were facing him even at this time um, and so maybe that's like what certain people wanted from the show, but I mean, again, like I think it was just a fascinating way to look at how he put this tour together and like what his vision for the tour was and like what he wanted out of it. Yeah. So let's dive into the show a little bit more, I guess. There's three Michael Jacksons, and you're going to have to feed me the names because I don't have my playbill. So the main <laughs> Michael Jackson is played by Miles Frost, <laughs> who who's really good. Um, it's, I remember, like, it's just so funny because um, Act 2 is opened with Billie Jean, which did deliver the way that Thriller should have, but didn't. Um, it was a great act two number like it almost shouldn't have open act two because i feel like if you missed it because you were wiping your ass you would be really sad um i loved it i thought it was like super sassy and beautiful and um this is the first time that there's like a very like conscious moonwalk moment and like people freaked the fuck out um (laughs) and it was really nice energy but then like literally 30 seconds later like young adult michael jackson who's played by uh tavon old sample old dash sample like spelled like the words olds with an s dash sample but yes what a cool name wow um he also moonwalks nobody gives a fuck like they're just like we've seen this i'm like that was equally good like (laughs) (laughs) what and then finally there's baby michael jackson who's like a five-year-old and he's played by well, so there are technically two actors splitting the role because he is 
a small child. Oh, you're right. Um, but the two are Walter Russell the third and Christian Wilson, and we saw Christian Wilson. Okay, he was really good. I feel like I'm never disappointed by child actors. Yeah, if they made it to Broadway, so they're normally many. like pretty good. Yeah, they have to beat out so many other children. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so the way that I liked about, I mean, because the the whole three people playing one role structure is getting a little old by now, but. I liked this because it was very clear that Miles Frost as MJ, like the full adult, is the main character. And like they definitely keep him as the main character. Whereas like for Cher, it was like debatable. Donna was also kind of debatable between the older two, you know, like that. But like here it's like very clear. And this is also a role where I was like, honestly, if Miles Frost said he could only do six performances a week and need to take two performances off, like, I'd believe him. So, yeah, like, I think it worked better this way, where rather than trying to split the three equally. I didn't actually feel like he was caring that much. I mean, like, he was definitely, like, main character material, but... I don't know. I feel like because other jukebox musicals, there's this like very clear cut of like, and then we have young Donna and then we have middle Donna. Um, And this one, it's just like they're sharing the stage or not sharing the stage all the time, but they're, they're like constantly rotating that I feel like I didn't notice it as much, but I feel like there was a good amount of time where he got to chill a little because like, Act one, there. I feel like there were like two whole like medleys where it was just like the baby MJ. Mm. Yeah, that's true. He mostly does act two stuff, but and still, like yeah. we don't really know if he sings. Like he's a really good dancer, but I could not hear him in at least half of his songs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was because of the like sound design or what. Because like when they did Smooth Criminal, I was like. Honestly, I thought they were just vamping longer than usual. Like, <laughs> when he was, like, started singing. <laughs> Same. I, yeah. And then, like, and then we were so, like, confused why he wasn't singing Thriller, and maybe he was. And I was like, you know, I bet they're going to do it again, and he's going to sing it in Act 2, and they're just teasing it in Act 1. So it came up in Act 2, and I was like, hell yeah. And, like, the sound design was still very iffy. It was clear that there was singing happening but it didn't really make an impact yeah they were definitely not singing in act one act one they do what wikipedia calls the thriller mix um which is when they like flash back to him doing him like coming out with the thriller album and so that was like thriller and want to be starting something and they do sing want to be starting something it's middle michael that does it but then they play like the intro to thriller and they have the like tombstones and everything come on stage and then they don't do thriller so it's just like the world's biggest tease and then they're like what if we don't um yeah and then when they actually do thriller it looks like they took the set from like coco (laughs) i was so confused i mean like i know you said it's the dangerous album cover or whatever but like i was not getting that yeah, so they do Thriller as basically the 11 o'clock number, I'd say, for the show. And it, the way they start it is like, because throughout this whole show, Michael's had issues with his dad. And like his dad being like too much of a perfectionist, working him too hard ever since he was young. And so he like, I don't even remember what the first few lines of Thriller is, but he sings it as like a down-tempo ballad, like towards his dad, essentially being like, oh, his dad is the monster in Thriller, which is a little bit weird, but like, it you seems know. seems like a major reach. <laughs> like, if that's yeah. what Thriller is actually about, I feel like a lot of people would be disappointed. Right. And then, and then it turns into like Michael's own personal nightmare. Like, curtains come down. It looks like a nightmare set of the set from Moulin Rouge. Um, it's a very nightmarish version of the Dangerous Album cover. Because the Dangerous Album cover is, like, pretty, like, snazzy. Right. It's, like, it's like it's very... It is kind of, like, circus freaky, but not in, like, a gruesome, scary, like, Nightmare Alley way. It's, like, pretty cute. Yeah, the um, Dangerous cover, but if you draped everything in, like, dark red. 
He just like what covered it in was. blood. <laughs> yeah. And then and then they do like actual thriller and they have like the sort of monsters from thriller like come on stage and like, you know, they have all his the costumes. His dad for that. just casually erupts into a zombie. Yeah. Like his dad is like his dad, and then his dad walks to like the back of the stage and then just like starts like spurting parts. It truly feels like they just needed an eleven o'clock number and they were like, Okay, what's the biggest song we've got? And or or maybe they originally thought they'd do dangerous there, which would make sense. But they were like, you know, that's not like a big enough Michael Jackson song. What if we do thriller instead? And then they were just like, Oh no. But we already put Thriller in the first act, but we can't take Thriller out of the first act because we literally talk about him winning awards for the Thriller album. So, it, it yeah, it just truly feels like they lost momentum there. Because, like, up until then, the show was great. And then that to the end was, I was like, I don't know what you guys were doing at all here. I mean, the end, I don't think disappointed. From Man in the Mirror onwards, like... Well, Man in the Mirror to me felt like such a filler song. It is, but like Man in the Mirror is a bop, and then we got the toaster over and over. <laughs> so like, it was just, it was fun. But, but yeah, um, like I mean, I don't know. With Thriller, it was just like, it felt like they just wanted the biggest song there, and then they had to find a justification for putting it there. And then afterwards, he like wakes up from this nightmare, or whatever, and he like is like, "What if it's never perfect?" and his tour manager, who's also played by his dad, the same actor as his dad, is like, oh, well, you know, it'll be fine or whatever. And then they just start randomly singing Man in the Mirror, which, you know, like they got to include that song somewhere. And then basically it gives Miles Ross time to do a costume change and then finally go up on this toaster that he has been talking about all show for wanting for the tour. So, yeah, I mean, that part was like pretty hyped black or white is actually from dangerous and they just used it as like a post credit song <laughs> yeah. i was like that's like the biggest song from dangerous you're just gonna put it after the bows yep it was and like everyone got to sing it and it was like fun that we got to like stand up and clap to it and like some people were filming it but i was like i just i thought you know it would be important or earlier in the show they were like what if we do this whole show around the dangerous album and we don't play any songs from the dangerous album yeah and the whole show is like dangerous is just as good as thriller and i'm like that's not what you're saying though okay to be fair they do play other songs from the dangerous album in the show just to be clear but they were not songs i knew so and they weren't big numbers yeah like they weren't like important moments and like most of them were shoved into medleys. Right. Yeah. So that's annoying too. And you start to freeze. And someone looks you right between the eyes. You're paralyzed. Because this is dinner. And no one's going to save you from the beast of our strength. You know it's dinner. Back to the beginning of the show. I think they started out the show really well. Like it was really smart. I think the way that they started out the show because they mm -hmm. start with like when you walk into the theater, there's already actors on stage in this set that is supposed to look like the rehearsal room. And they're just like, you know, stretching or whatever, doing essentially pre-rehearsal warmups. And then the show starts and they start like doing formation. And then, you know, Michael Jackson makes his big entrance and they do beat it. Which is also like a fairly big song, I'd say. And I mostly say that because I knew it. And <laughs> and they like, they do beat it. So it's like, okay, let's start with a familiar song for most people in the audience. And also it gives My Miles Frost a chance to like show off the dance moves. Like immediately after that song, I was like, I would watch this again just to watch him dance like that. Um, and I think part of it is also just to be like, hey, this guy can do it like he's got the moves it's fine you're gonna get the michael jackson choreography just trust us and so it just sort of like especially as someone who's like it's their broadway debut and like i said a lot of people were kind of like doubtful about him 
I'd say it's like a really good way to start it just to show that he has the capability of doing it. I was also initially disappointed by the rehearsal room set, but I think I came around to it because it's very bare. It's literally just like his rehearsal room. It's like a blank dance studio, but I think like they're able to change it up into a lot of the other sets that we see later on in the show, like pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I liked that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to get like a best set award or anything, but the set was functional. Um, And it was able to be like pretty flexible with what they needed it to be. I was just annoyed because they have these like big windows in the back of the rehearsal room and they have like this light that looks like it's supposed to be light coming in through the windows except it totally does not match the direction that the windows are. And I was just like, I don't understand what this is for, but it's fine. (laughs) How does the transition into his first flashback happen? I think it's when the, so the, um, what's her name? Rachel is the name of the reporter who's there to interview him or just there to report on the rehearsals. And so she like gets the okay from his tour manager. He, does not want her there but he's like okay yeah whatever like he's just like don't get in my way and i think like in a break between rehearsals or something she just essentially like goes up to him and she's like oh yeah you know like this is a big deal like we've basically watched you grow up because you've been singing and performing since you were part of the jackson five and then i think that's how they transition into the jackson five scenes with baby michael um yeah, he doesn't seem to have a very easy childhood, I guess. I guess, like, even when he was way younger, he was kind of like the breakout voice from Jackson 5. So he got, like, a ton of pressure from his dad, even though he was the youngest. And um, his dad, like, beat him a lot and always, like, requested perfection, which you kind of see... um rub off on mj as well throughout the show like that's why he yells at his dancers and almost fires all of them like a psychopath um so like it kind of gives you a window into like why his personality towards like rehearsal is the way it is but um yeah sad boy yeah they don't like linger on it which is nice from an audience's perspective but also kind of confusing i guess because you're just like oh was it just that one time or like because because um his dad does actually like slap him or something and obviously he's like very emotionally abusive throughout his life but it's like oh well like how much it's it's unclear how much the like physical abuse was there and stuff like that but again like i mean I get that it's sort of an important part of the story for their background to understand that. And like you said, they brought it in to, or like, like you said, they were able to connect that with like the way that he treats his own um, employees essentially. But yeah, like I'm kind of glad they didn't linger too long on that because I agree. I I feel like we actually saw quite a few slaps, but they didn't like, yeah, like they didn't linger on that bit of the story so much that i felt like i was just watching child abuse happen on stage right and it wasn't like super uncomfortable which- and like his mom was there and his mom was like nice and you know they had some like scenes with his mom where it's like oh she's there to make it all better but so it's like he wasn't just like completely being abused at home all the time which like i actually i don't know like this first scene then eventually to thriller where his dad is the main villain in his life and a literal zombie is like kind of a jump like his dad progressively gets shittier and shittier and his dad starts like cheating on his mom a lot with like the fans of jackson five which is like super fucked up there's like one scene where he's like literally fighting over the same girl with like his older son um and i was like that was probably like the most disturbing part of this flashback i was like ill and the girl didn't even seem to like him but um because like at first it's just like i mean like this is you know several decades ago i feel like 
slapping your child was not that uncommon and he didn't seem like a terrible father like he seemed like he like just wanted the best for them and he would always Mm -hmm. be like you know like right now because like they kind of debuted in the age of Motown and he's just like there's so many black musicians that want to be where you are and like he's probably right so he's just like you guys got to work harder you can't just party and like I don't know like that sounds reasonable like strict but reasonable especially for a couple decades ago then it just like goes downhill from there (laughs) yeah Yeah, like it was part of that sort of like cultural zeitgeist I guess of like abusing people to get better results which like is definitely not okay now anymore especially but like doesn't work yeah and obviously but like you know you hear about all these old directors and stuff like even like Bob Fosse and like Jerome Robbins and stuff were known to be like terrible to work with because they were just so abusive in that respect um so he's just kind of like falls into that group but like you said then later on once Michael Jackson's a real life adult it's kind of just like man this dad has not he is not like got it with the times he's just like i was not done exploiting you when you were underage so i'm gonna guilt trip you to come back yeah um and that's when it gets sadder but also so they do um quentin earl darrington plays both the dad and his tour manager which i actually thought was kind of a smart move because it it's sort of the dichotomy of like his tour manager is trying to get him to like work with deadlines and be like oh well the tour is only you know so many days away like we have to have this finished and but he's still like ultimately supportive of michael jackson's vision and of like okay we'll try to make this work but here here are the problems whatever whereas like you know the dad is obviously the opposite he's like oh well we should do this my way and you have to do this and the way that he plays the two characters like he has like completely different voice for each of them and there's i think one scene where michael jackson has like like all the people are sort of like swirling around him and he literally doesn't even change clothes or anything and he just like drops his voice to like that different register that he uses for the dad and like all of a sudden he's a dad and then all of a sudden he's a tour manager again and i thought that was like pretty cool also he's like the second build person in this show so good for him oh really Damn. I mean, at least he's like the second person in the playbill. Oh, cool. I don't know if they like negotiate for that. He had like very different voices until you said it. But then like the scene you just described, I totally remember. Yeah. Yeah. His dad does get pretty ominous. Yeah. a quick sit down with um rachel because she asks him about like earlier in their career and then he talks about how like difficult leaving how difficult of a decision leaving his brothers was and like he had to like kind of fight with his dad about it and his dad was like you're gonna come crying back to me um and like he didn't really make it big immediately he like struggled a lot and didn't get to you know like do the Mm -hmm. music that he wanted to or whatever and he was kind of forced into this like maybe like narrow black musician genre um and honestly this part i think went by a little quick um like i but do we know how many years he like actually struggled no it, well, it was, it was basically quick. just, like, he was struggling for a bit. I, I don't remember, like, who he was struggling with because he was, like, struggling with some producer or something. And then at some point, he did The Wiz and he met Quincy Jones. And then that was just, like, completely new era of his career. So then he does Thriller. And as soon as he makes a name for himself, his dad comes back. And he's like, you need to use your fame. You got to do it for the family you gotta do it for your brothers and his brothers who i don't know i feel like are just retired are like yeah man 
Like, you're the only famous one. You got to help us. So they like rebanned for a Jackson 5 tour, which was really detrimental to him because he was like, I need to tour with Thriller now while like it's hot. Um, And he gave that up. I mean, in the end, it didn't matter. It's still like the most famous song in the universe. Yeah. And also like that was when he had his like hair burned off or something and he had to go to the hospital and that oh, was like yeah. what started the pain pills. It's cause, like he was just super overworked because he was doing this stuff with his brothers, but he still had his own thing and his family was just totally exploiting him and his hair burned off during like a Pepsi commercial or something. Yeah. Like he was crazy busy and like, he's like a younger sibling. So like, I don't know, like I'm kind of mad at his brothers. I feel like they're like not good older siblings. <laughs> the ending, the, the closing number for the first act is basically him talking to the press because um like you mentioned earlier the whole dangerous tour was for charity and like and this is sort of a recurring theme in this show i think where when uh rachel comes to interview him he's like oh yeah you know like i don't normally talk to the press but like you know when i do or like he's like can you please just keep this documentary about the music um which like is essentially what the whole show does it's like not really about his personal life it's like more about how he became a musician um so it's like and i don't know if that's necessarily because that's mostly what we know about him and or like what his family is willing to talk about with the press or if that's just like the show being sort of meta in that sense but um yeah and so then at the end of act one he has an actual press conference like which they had been like hinting about for the entire act one. Like they're all like, Oh, Michael, don't forget. Yeah. That press conference later. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, fuck that. And so I thought it was going to be kind of a bigger deal than it was. Like I thought he was going to like bomb on television or something, but it really wasn't as big of a deal, but he basically just like takes the time to um, talk about his charities and he sings. They don't care about us. Um, and there's like some kind of cool scenery there. He like knocks over a podium while standing on it, which was I was Loki a little. Oh um, yeah, freaked and out then, by. Like, <laughs> it's it's pretty cool because like the flip side of the podium or whatever is like still used as a set piece, and they pretend to like chain him to it or something. Yeah, and then there's just like broken glass in the background, and crazy stuff is happening. <sighs> yeah, that was actually kind of cool. I remember that. But yeah, like. I mean, and that's basically act one. And they do spend a lot of time with the younger Michaels, I guess. And then, well, so the thing that I heard about Thriller was, first of all, earlier in previews, they actually did sing part of Thriller in the first act. And also, presumably, they cut that because they're like, no, we're going to save Thriller for the oldest Michael. Like, fuck the middle Michael. He's had enough to do. Like, we're going to give this one to the (laughs) oldest. But... Mm -hmm which like i guess i can understand but um yeah that was a thing apparently (laughs) so wait middle michael does the thriller mix in act one yeah like he sings wanna be starting something or actually they might both sing it was pretty cool because it starts with michael by himself sort of talking about the different um dancers that he admires and it's like bob fossey and um who else was part of this uh fred astaire oh and all of these people their um writings were like alluded to on the curtain during commission during it, it was like Michael Jackson's notes on like notes to self about like watch this uh, choreography again and like stuff like that. So you kind of got like a little teaser of it during intermission to lead you into the 
segment, which is honestly really smart. And I'm surprised that I haven't seen a show really do that before either. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of struggling to read the handwriting on the curtain during yeah. intermission. We like At first, we weren't sure if it was important because they didn't like say anything about it before intermission. We were just like, hmm, what are these very faint letters? Um, but I'm glad we figured most of them out because, you know, he mentions all of them right away. Yeah. So, yeah, Billie Jean was pretty cool because he like does or like there's people playing each of these musical influences and um who's the oh the Eiley brothers i think are there other know. ones who i'm not familiar with but um he like they take turns doing like the dances that they're known for as michael jackson sort of like copies them and then as he's doing billy jean you can see him sort of incorporate all those into his own choreography essentially he also dresses up for Billie Jean on stage. He has this like diva moment. I'm, and the stage is super bare, but it's just like a stool with like his like studded jacket and his studded glove and his top hat and everything. And like he makes a whole like big show. And I don't know if that's him like developing his style, but he's like, and then you have the jacket and then you have the hat and then you have the glove. It's like the most bedazzled fucking that glove was ever. Such a sparkly glove. It was a very sparkly <laughs> glove. And People like whooped for it. So I maybe it's a very significant glove, but it looked heavy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I guess most of this act is really sort of confined to the rehearsal room. It's like Rachel's trying to suss out what the deal is with all the pain pills that he's been taking. Um, the deadline's getting tighter. So everybody's low key freaking the fuck out. And Rachel's like kind of maybe getting in the way occasionally. And, like, it's, like, kind of tense in that sense. Um, I don't know. Was there anything specific you wanted to talk about here? Mm, Not really. Every once in a while, they, like, threw us a full song from the rehearsal room with all the dancers, which I thought was really nice. Um, Because, you know, like, we just want a couple of watchable numbers. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't remember that much. Like, I think, like... You know, he has his freak out, but then his manager is like, yo, you can't be doing this. And he pulls back really quick, which I feel like is kind of like maybe in juxtaposition to his dad. It's just like he is a sane person. Um, And then to like calm down or find himself, he basically pretends to be the janitor. Um, <laughs> He pretends to be like an 80-year-old janitor. And he tells Rachel like, oh, you're such a pretty little lady kind of or something like that you know like something that grandpas would say to you (laughs) and um and rachel's like what and he's like yeah this is how i like get in touch with myself or get in touch with the common man or whatever he says just you know something that's like i'm so famous i gotta do something to feel human um and then they sing human nature together yeah and then like they go to the hollywood sign that was kind of a weird move I think. I mean, I guess yeah. the point is that, like, oh, when you're famous and, like, in Hollywood and stuff, it's hard to connect with people. But it was just weird because it was like, oh, this is suddenly La La Land now. But, yeah, they, they have their chat and um, I don't know. Like, this is, like, I feel like Rachel's just very professional because she's, like, I feel you. Like, I know you must be struggling with stuff, but, like, I got the content i got and i'm gonna use it because it's my obligation as a journalist and like he didn't really respond he wasn't like yeah that's fair or like thanks for telling me he was just like he didn't say anything which kind of bothered me because i was like she's being really fair and Mm -hmm. he was just still acting very like journalists always screw me over which isn't what happened yeah i mean the thing with her is that she can be like a little aggressive i guess when um the tour manager is like, hey, like, stay out of our way. This is a really important rehearsal day. Like, we don't need any distractions. And she just kind of nods, but she's still like, she's like, zoom in closer on that um, and like, try to get that shot or whatever. And so it's a little bit like underhanded, but it's like, honestly, probably not worse than what most journalists do anyway. And also part of it that I was thinking was also like so much of his like behind the scenes life was private that the reason why we probably have a show like this is because some of the journalists like 
pushed a little more than others and like tried to get that closer look. So it's like, you know, there's a, um, a give and take there. Yeah. And then, I mean, we have to include this is, well, so he's asking for all these things, you know, the 186 speakers or whatever, all of his outfits. Um, he, his, his own house is called Neverland and he mortgages it. Yeah. So his, he has like a giant estate called Neverland and it's not just a house. It's like a mansion, but he also has like a theme park there. Like he has literal actual like carnival rides in Neverland. What the fuck? It's wild. Like, like, I mean, they, they mentioned part of it. They're like, Oh, the cotton candy machine or whatever. And he's like, I just like cotton candy. But, um, no, like Neverland actually has crazy a whole thing. Um, there's a merry-go-round in there who does yeah. he ride it with <laughs> what all right that's fucking insane i did not know that yeah what the fuck i just imagine him just like getting writer's block and he's like mm, i'm gonna go straddle a plastic horse with my <laughs> notebook and see if i can figure some stuff out that's so crazy. I mean, it's really cool. I feel like if I had a lot of money, I would love to have a little theme park in my backyard, but what a weirdo. Um, he mortgages it. Um, and his lawyer is like, bro, I don't think you should do this. Like the tickets aren't selling as good as the thriller tour. And he's like, no, this is really important to me. And it's like for the charities. Um, and then one of the things that he keeps requesting is a toaster, which if you think about a toaster, you definitely know what it is. Maybe it's very expensive. I don't know. Like, I didn't really think it would be that expensive. Maybe it was more expensive back in the day. But, like, it's so common in shows now, in, like, concerts but, now. I mean, you know? when you're doing a world tour, I think that was a thing. was, like, they had to do it for every stage that they were playing. That's fair. And then also his agents would be like, or his tour manager would be like, no, it's too dangerous. That You're going to yeah. get like shot six <laughs> feet into the air. No. What if you hurt yourself? We're going to have to cancel everything. This is not okay. We already have so many things going on. And like the way he said it, cause he said he was like, you're going to shot, you're going to be like shot six foot in the air across the stage or something. Like I literally thought like I didn't know what a toaster was and that he was just going to be like full on flying. (laughs) I was like, wow, that does sound dangerous. And then later on, we see the toaster in action. And I'm like, that was nothing. Like I could do that and probably not hurt myself. Like I wouldn't land gracefully, but I don't think I would hurt myself. They literally do it in Aladdin um, for like the background of Friend Like Me on Broadway specifically. They don't take it on tour. But I remember (laughs) it because... During one of the Bachelorette seasons, one of the dates that they go on, like the group dates, is to backstage of Aladdin on Broadway, and they have all the guys that are on this group date go and do the toaster. (laughs) Um, I was at a Broadway sessions, and there was this, like, girl who was... I like doing pretty well for herself now. But then like Benny was like, oh, what is the worst role you've taken on before? And then she said it was being in the ensemble of Aladdin because she was one of the girls that had to hide in um, like in oh. the cave. There's those like wedding cake shaped towers of jewels. Hmm. And then, you know, like they pull off and there's a girl in there. But she's like, because of like how thin the cake is, you have to just like stand like really straight and tall and tiny, like a stick for like the 20 minutes it takes before (laughs) she gets revealed. And she was like, I fucking hated that. I had a cramp every day. (laughs) I always wondered about that because I was like, they have to be here there the whole time. Like there's no way that they somehow get transported in there. But that's such a long time to. Maybe they could cut a hole in the ground. That's how I assume like most things happen. Like for most of the cursed child, I'm like, there's probably a hole in the ground. I don't know. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. He doesn't even sing it. He goes off yeah, stage to get so ready for the literally, like I mean, he starts singing it, I think, with um, oh, really? his tour manager. And 
And then like the rest of the ensemble comes up and like sings it and they like block it just so so that he they're all like crowded in front of him so that you don't really unless you're in the mezzanine like we were see him like going down into the pits of the stage where presumably he does his costume change and i was like oh yeah that's definitely the toaster (laughs) i don't think like man in the mirror was so out of place i feel like man in the mirror could close out like 80 percent of musicals to be fair (laughs) right it's just like you know like a mellow introspective mostly positive like way to end a show and especially like you know there's like all this like inner turmoil and like he's doing this entire thing for the charity but then he has like shit like haunting his past or whatever and it just feels like man in the mirror is like okay like i can see how that fits but you know it probably fits a lot of storylines i mean i feel like they just didn't build up to it enough like because he was just like oh what if it isn't perfect and store manager's like it'll be fine and then they start singing man in the mirror or something like that Essentially, you get, like, a glimpse of him at the world tour where he, like, pops up in the toaster and he's completely different outfit. And he just stands there. And then it's, like, like, you hear they play a recording of people chanting, like, Michael. Um, and then it's, like, lights out, curtain he, call. He you know? stands there. Like, he talks about it, too, when he pitches the toaster to his tour manager. He's, like, imagine the stage is empty. I jump up it's just me i don't do anything i don't move i don't dance i don't start singing the audience is like "Ooh, how mysterious they're wondering what's going on they're wondering what's happening in my mind i'm like that's very dramatic that's exactly what he does like he literally (laughs) pops the fuck up and like nothing happens for six seconds i remember like watching that i was like what a weird ending because i you know normally especially for a jukebox musical you'd think there'd be like a closing number or something like go out on a high note and this was like it seemed almost like a downturn compared to all the other numbers that you know like rattle your chest and i was like expecting him to at least do the opening number or something of his tour and then i went home and i watched the videos of his tour and he literally just does that like he stands there he doesn't do anything the fans are fucking crazy like (laughs) I mean, like, you know, there's all those stories about, like, the Beatles coming to America and all that, too. And, like, we just don't have fans like these anymore, I think, because they are literally crying. They're, like, screaming his name. They're, like, it's it's like they're just having a personal meltdown because he is, like, 500 feet away from them or I something. I mean, I am kind of sad that I missed groupie culture because I feel like <laughs> I would be really good at it. But you're, what you're talking about is definitely just K-pop fans. Okay. <laughs> Michael Jackson's more. just like, I know how famous I am, so I need to bank an applause break. Yeah, and when I was watching this video on YouTube, it went on for so long, like he didn't even do anything, that I hit an ad break during <laughs> the time that he was standing there. And I was like, oh my god, when does he start singing? Damn everyone else comes back on stage and it's like you know it's not the show anymore they're just like jamming out and this is when they sing black or white and it's not like a total ensemble number where they're just like jamming out to it like they actually have specific people from the company like sing each line and it's like a total bop and then he runs off stage again and you're like he's gonna do the toaster again i'm like no way and you're like they talked about it so long he's gonna do it again i was like back to back no and then he fucking does it again (laughs) And the thing is, like, we've seen curtain call outfits. Like, you know, we're familiar with the concept. I'm always like, yeah, that's how you know a show's rich. But, like, like he just changed, you know? It's not <laughs> For like that he... one toaster. That toaster yeah. was a completely separate outfit. Yeah. Like, he, Man in the Mirror happened. He disappeared. He changed. He came back on the toaster. Brand new, beautiful outfit. So, I'm like, no. Like, he, you were like, yeah, you specifically said he's going to do the toaster again in a different outfit. And I was like, no way. He just got a new outfit. Like, why would they have that one amazing bedazzled outfit just for like 15 seconds? But then he did it again. I don't remember which outfit, but one of them was, was like the a straight yellow up one? like canary yellow yeah. sh- the silk yeah. shirt or something. I think that was the curtain call outfit. It was honestly fine but not as good as the first toaster outfit so i was kind of <laughs> sad yeah 
Oh, the other thing about the toaster is it's not only a toaster, it's a mini turntable. So when he pops out of the toaster, he's standing on like a mini turntable and it spins him around. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot. I'm like, damn, that is some fancy it's ass toaster small. technology. You know, like the whole show, like what it's leading up to is like, is this tour going to be a success? Because that's what he's so worried about. And like, he thinks it's like what his legacy hinges on and he wants to make this big donation. So like, I've really thought he was going to toaster himself the fuck up and then like just perform this like undeniably incredible opening song of the dangerous tour. And then that's how it would end. And then like, it would be like without saying it, just like, showing us that the tour was a success because it would be this like they would put on this incredible closing number that's the opening number of the tour in real life and it would just like blow our minds and we would be like hell yeah of course it's a success you know what i mean and that didn't happen i'm really sad right like it would just be a much better ending in my opinion yeah yeah (laughs) you know what um what kind of surprises me is i feel like usually I'm a little harsher than critics. I like it's not that I don't enjoy most of the shows we see. Like I'm glad I see most of them, but I'm kind of like, okay, but that wasn't good, you know. <laughs> um, and like we liked MJ and we liked Music Man and we both liked them, which also doesn't happen every time. And critics hated both of them. Yeah. Like, have we just not seen stuff in a while and our like standards have dropped? Because I feel like this is not the norm. I mean, to be fair, both of them were pretty mixed. Like, Jesse Green did not like either of them, really. But they definitely had, like, some people who were, like, really big fans and then some people who just hated them. But, I mean, as far as Jukebox biopics go, I feel like MJ really, like I said, it it does the job of, like, telling the stuff that I want it to tell. Like, I don't care about all the other stuff. I, like, like, please, like, stop showing woman and their issues with their husbands like i get that it's an integral part of this story but you don't need to have a whole act about it yeah and like the thing that like we always say about jukebox musicals is like we like um we like jersey boys because there's no like clear protagonist because no one from four seasons was really involved in the show and then like it's you know like when we watched like share or ain't too proud it was very clear that like the main character was very very much involved and like that person seems like a hero like even though like you said like the michael jackson estate produced this it like didn't have strong vibes of that like i wasn't like i can tell this is just mj propaganda right yeah yeah like in that regards it was like more similar to jersey boys than i think like anything else we've really seen recently so Mm -hmm. i like that and like, so the book writer is Lynn Nottage, who she is the only woman, I think, currently to have won two Pulitzer Prizes. Like, she's a playwright. And so I think she was really smart, just the way she approached this. And obviously, I, you know, like, I assume that there were certain constraints by the estate. But in an interview, she said that, oh, like, they basically let us do whatever you wanted or something. Lynn Nottage also right now has like three different productions running simultaneously because she also wrote Clyde's, which we both did not really enjoy. Um, but she also wrote Intimate Apparel, which I do want to see. And so it's like kind of cool that she had at some point like two shows on Broadway and an opera going on. Any thoughts about Tony's for this? I mean, Miles Frost for sure getting a... Well, I mean... I say for sure, but also like I don't know. I think the the season's a little crowded. Hold on, are they going to get choreo? I imagine they have to <laughs> almost. Um, it is also kind of cool because they actually consulted like a couple of people, like who a- had actually worked with Michael Jackson on mm-hmm. choreo, um, and they have like a whole shout out in the program and stuff. Um, it is. Michael Peters, who the co-choreographer on Thriller and Beat It, Greg Burge, the co-choreographer on Bad, and Vincent Patterson, who's the co-choreographer on Smooth Criminal. Also, mm. I only just realized the scenic designer for MJ is the same scenic designer as Moulin Rouge, so that explains why I got Moulin Rouge vibes from the Thriller He's set. just like, I always have leftover red velvet from now until the day I die. Just assume I have leftover red velvet. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> 
I like this production. I think it it does what I wanted it to do. I can see why people would want it to like delve into the later allegations because people are making like if you want a very heated discussion about this, check out the Broadway World message boards because wow, people have opinions on there. But literally people were like it would be like if you made a Harvey Weinstein musical but didn't include any of the actual sexual abuse that happened. And I I don't know, like first of all, I feel like that's like a different ball game because Harvey Weinstein first of all would not have a musical about him because he was not <laughs> a musician. And like and he wasn't like universally beloved in the same way before all the abuse allegations happened. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of false equivalencies being made. The decision to see the show is whether or not you feel like supporting the estate given the sexual abuse allegations. But once you're once you've decided that you're like okay with that, then I think it's, it's a good musical good. to see. Yeah. And I feel like jukebox musicals are always like they're created for like the fans of this person. So they can't go right. too hard in on the main character. You know? Yeah. I never expected anything from it. So Yeah. It yeah. does amuse me though a little that the original title for this used to be Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And then <laughs> Finding Neverland <laughs> happened and they're like, never mind, we can't name that. <laughs> You should keep an eye out and subscribe to us on any of the podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anything else that your heart prefers. (laughs) And you can apparently now leave ratings in Spotify. So if you liked our podcast, you should definitely give us a good rating. But Mm -hmm. otherwise, you can also talk to us on Twitter or Instagram at Bottomless B-Way or get into direct contact with us at bottomlessbway at gmail.com and if you've seen mj love to hear what you thought about it otherwise we will be back with another show next time bye